Welcome to the Art of Faith podcast. I'll be your curator today, Joshua Kapczynski. Art of Faith podcast is brought to you by the Living Nativity and Granite Creek's Fall into Fun Halloween celebration. We're currently looking for sponsors so that we can get these community events out into the public and fully funded. They are incredible events. If you are familiar with Granite Creek's Living Nativity, it is a live production and drama with animals and camels and actors and incredible sets. And each and every year, uh, it is made possible by sponsors. So if you'd like to be a sponsor for the Living Nativity, uh, you'll get lots of ad space and promotion. We would love to highlight your business on print material uh, digital space, and we can get creative too. So it'd be a great opportunity for your business to get some advertising. In addition to that, you will be doing a, a great thing and boldly declaring the virgin birth and deity of Jesus at Christmas time. Living Nativity brings in thousands and thousands of people every year. One year we brought in 10,000 visitors. Uh, on average, we're somewhere between two to 5,000. So we would love for you to participate and get the word out for your business and, again, help a great cause. The other sponsorship is our Halloween. We call it the Halloween Alternative, which is fall into fun. Not necessarily that I have a problem using the name Halloween anymore because it used to be a Christian holiday. But uh, it is our, it's our trick-or-treat alternative. It is a fall fair uh, where kids get to dress up and costume contest, uh, one of the most unique experiences in Halloween out there. So uh, that you can, you can help us sponsor that as well, and we can get your business out there. Those are the two opportunities. If you're interested in sponsoring these uh, big community events, go ahead and reach on out to me at joshk at granitecreek.org, and I'll send you the details. All right, we're back on... Uh, Jordan Peterson. So a few podcasts back, I did a series on who is Jordan Peterson, because I believe that he is uh, one of the most influential thinkers of our time. Uh, His book, 12 Rules of Life, was a big hit and has made a huge impact. And of course, his YouTube videos have influenced a lot of people, specifically young men. And and so I'm just going to I'm going to pick up kind of where we left off. I'm getting into his second book. Again, this is Who is Jordan Peterson? His first book was 12 Rules for Life. His second book, which I was able to to see him in person at at his book tour, uh, his second book is called Beyond Order and 12 More Rules for Life. And today we're talking about rule number one, which is, it's an interesting one. And... It took me a little while to get my head around what he was trying to communicate, but I think I got it Re- regardless. Hopefully this will give you some interpretation of the chapter and maybe an inspiration for you to delve in a little bit deeper. Uh, chapter one is called Do Not Carelessly Denigrate Social Institutions or Creative Achievement. All right, so his, his first rule in this new book of Beyond Order um, basically how to become a better person 
beyond just the regular 12 rules, but how to, I think what he's really getting at in the entire book is how to achieve um, personal transformation. And his first step is that when we come at the idea of social institutions, and this is kind of, since it's interesting for, uh, for anybody that's a little punk, anybody that's a little anarchy, um, you, this will go against, this will rub against your grain. He is saying that we need to not, uh, be cynical or, um, harsh towards social institutions. So Granite Creek Community Church is a social institution. Um, uh, since this is the art of faith, we're talking about the, the nuances of faith and, we were even seeing a criticism towards church in general in the public arena. And, and so um, why would Peterson say such a thing that we shouldn't denigrate these social institutions when in fact it almost seems like it's to be our nature? And it's, interestingly enough, if you follow Peterson, you will see him be a critic of social institutions, specifically political institutions, and social movements. So he's not necessarily saying don't question the, don't question them, but he's saying that there is a need for social institutions. Um, and then hopefully I can get into this part and um, don't denigrate um, creative achievement. And the this idea of social institutions and creative achievement. Uh, they are opposite sides of the same coin. And he even will use the illustration, it's not even an illustration, it's even a fact, but he will use the illustration of conservatism versus liberalism. So the conservatism would be that social institution thing that is the norm, that is, uh, that's tradition, that is... You know, this is the way that we've always done it. It's a well-oiled machine. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, so that's the conservative mindset. I guess you could say I'm a traditional conservative. And that's kind of hard for me to necessarily admit that. But um, it is this constant idea that we're just going to continue to do the, the same thing that we've always done. It's the tradition. It's the, you know, it's the fiddler on the roof song. Tradition. Um, in contrast, the the liberal mindset or the the creative mindset is the one that is always looking for a progressive expression, a new and something new, something creative. It's going to turn the tables over, if you will. It's not going to ex- accept this the status quo. Um, it's going to look for change for change's sake, and. Uh, we have a, a um, uh, an either, not an either or, we have a one or, or another uh, mentality. Either you're a conservative or you are a liberal. Either you are a company man or you are a individual creative. And so Peterson's going to try and attempt to bring it back. Um, in the first chapter, he's got, 12, uh, or in the book, he's got 12 pictures that he believes represents each one of these rules. And so rule number one is this image right behind me. This one's going to be a little bit tough for me to talk about because 
Although I like the image, I think it's a great looking image. Uh, the image in and of itself is a tarot card. And I don't, I don't like tarot cards. I don't like witchcraft. Um, although I do like Harry Potter, but I don't play around with Ouija boards and crystal balls and I don't read my horoscope or any of that stuff. I don't think we ought to be messing around with that as Christians. Um, you know, I've got entertainment for entertainment's sake, but these are things that you just don't practice. Uh, regardless, this is the picture that he chose. And this is the tarot card of the fool. And he's going to, eventually in this chapter, he's going to tell us that there is a fool's journey. And from what I can understand and what he's trying to communicate is that the fool is not necessarily um you know your 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 town idiot um he's not the he's not the moron of you know he's not the you know the whipping boy in peterson's expression of this fool represented by the tarot card is that this is the this is the wide-eyed uh, person. This is the guy that's got his head in the clouds. Like uh, anything is possible, and he is open to any any change or any uh, opportunity. And so he's just kind of gonna go where the wind blows. And so um, eventually, Peterson will say that that the fool will be open to buck the systems of a, of a of a structure or break the rules if the rules need to be broken. Okay. So I'll come back around to that idea in a minute, but that's the meaning of this picture. And so, um, he's going to encourage us to, again, I don't know why he went with the fool, but, um, he's going to, he's going to encourage us to have our heads up and to look out for opportunity and possibility. And so, and, and, and not do anything that will hinder good things coming our way. So not being stuck in, in the old, but being open to the new. Okay, that's, that's the idea. Now, uh, he will, the beginning of the chapter, he talks about this idea that sanity is a condition of society. So if you are um, an individual that is connected to a social institution. And if you are a player in this social institution, whether it be a faith community or a club or a gym, like you've got to be connected in one way or another to a people group. And uh, if you're not then you run the risk of literally going insane. And so sanity is found only, and, and again, Peterson is a clinical psychologist, so he kind of knows what he's talking about. So he will say, he will argue very strongly, he will argue that sanity is only found in the context of community. And he highlights... Um, a story of somebody that has been socially distanced, kind of a recluse, like a complete loner. And like the poor guy's life has fallen apart and he is, you know, this is his, his patient. So he's clinically treating him for depression and suicide and all these things. And it, it, it comes off crystal clear 
that the individual has social skills that are not engaged. He doesn't know how to even have a one-on-one conversation. He doesn't, he doesn't understand or see and, and recognize social cues. Uh, he doesn't even understand uh, the impact that his own words are making, his own, his own sentences are making to, to those that are around him. And uh, what Peterson realized is that this broken individual needed to have a context where he could actually hear himself speak. And so it's kind of a good gig, right? If you're a, if you're a psychologist that gets paid a couple hundred bucks an hour, um, he, he would sit there for half of a session just listening to this man talk so that the man could hear him say uh, the things that were in his head out loud in an open space in the midst of a person or people. And we had, um, you know, I, I, I'm beginning to really resonate with the truth of this. After COVID, um, when we fired up the church again, you know, when we got from being an online church to, you know, eventually being back in the parking lot, saying hi to people in the cars, and then eventually, you know, some people would sit outside, and and then eventually we we brought them inside the sanctuary. Everybody was seated, you know, miles apart with masks on. And eventually, they began to get closer and closer and closer. And then what we noticed is that when life kind of got back to normal, uh, people didn't know how to talk to one another. They didn't have they didn't know how to communicate. Um, there was a lot of awkward social interactions. There was a lot of uh, people getting their feelings hurt because people would just say what was ever on their mind. So basically, we went a year, two years without any um, social checks, without any um, personal accountability or group accountability. And you know, there was nobody in anybody's life that said, "Hey, you know what? You probably." Uh, you probably shouldn't say that out loud. You should probably filter uh, what's going on in your mind before you let it out of your mouth. And so we we kind of saw a lot of that. Like there was just so much social awkwardness when we when we got back into the mix of things. Uh, it's 2003 right now, and and I think we're still kind of recovering from it. We had a we had a huge social event at the church this Sunday, and it was great. It was just basically a barbecue after church, and a lot of people showed up. We served 180 hamburgers and hot dogs, and I was still kind of surprised at the social awkwardness for a lot of people. So there were some regulars that that, that we know that you know that that's just easy to hang out with, but yeah, I was I was kind of literally surprised about how many people had a hard time um, engaging with other people, and so I think that there is still some remnant left over from the lockdowns that are keeping people from connecting. And the sooner we be, we can break bread together and the sooner that we can hang out and people can be more social, we call it fellowshipping inside of the church context. The sooner that we can fellowship, the, the more sane that we will be. And I'm afraid that we're moving into a season of insanity with the new political um, season coming looming around the corner with um looks like it's going to be trump and biden again and it's going to be a huge train wreck and people are going to tear each other apart online 
and they're going to say things that they online that they would never say in public or to their friends or to their family. And so I just kind of know from experience, it's probably going to be a bloody political season. And I, I don't, I don't want that. So I don't, I don't think that you want that either. And so we just want to encourage people to live sane lives in the context of a social institution. And I obviously, I believe that the church is probably the best social institution that, that we can pick. All right. Now, there is that desire to plug into a larger social context, but there's also another um, interpersonal delving that we need to do, you know, since we are the fool here, since we are the one that's on this journey. This interpersonal journey um, requires us to kind of look hard into the soul and the psyche of who we are. He's going to frame out Freud and contrast to Carl Jung. Uh, so Freud and his clinical approach, his psychological breakthrough, uh, was um, dissecting the human mind or the human psyche into three parts, um, the id, the superego, and the ego. And so basically um, what Freud was saying is that there is uh, your animalistic or fleshly nature, um, and then there is this uh, super ego uh, that is that is uh, higher, the higher state of of uh, of, of mankind that is um, um, transcendent, and then there's your own individual needs, and we kind of fall in between. Uh, some idealistic superman, superhuman ideologies uh, in contrast to primal basic needs. And then the id is somewhere in between, and there's like a war going on. Carl Jung challenges Freud. Carl Jung says that um, there is, I believe he says that, that there is the id, so that the, there's the person, and, um, and you kind of know who you are. But then there's also the shadow person. And so where Freud will, will splice you up into three different beings mentally, Jung says basically this is dualistic. So there's a good side of you and then there's a bad side of you. And so we kind of have to come to terms with that. And the reason why we have to come to terms with that, if we're trying to figure out where on the spectrum we fall, whether we're a conservative or a liberal, where we want the safety of establishment or where do we want to break out in creativity. So we fall somewhere along that, um, uh, those two values. And again, it can be fleshed out politically or it can just be fleshed out in your own personality. And so he's going to begin to, to say that, that we need to begin to develop the personality. And that's a weird thing to think about because you think that you, know, you, just, you are who you are. Um, but the truth of the matter is, and it's biblically supported too, is that we can, we can craft, train and transform our, our own very own personalities. So if you don't like who you are, if you don't like your personality, uh, you, you don't have to live with it. You don't have to live with yourself. You can literally transform your personality. And I've actually seen this. I mean, seen it in some degree with, within my own self. Um, but you've, you know, if you've been around church and you've seen transformation, 
you've seen people go from being horrible people to good people. And like that's a shift in personality, not just in a redemptive shift. And so uh, regardless, we are responsible to organize our own personalities. And to do so, uh, Jordan doesn't address this, but to do so in what I would say biblically ethical ways. Because if you don't, if there is no fear of God, then then things can go horribly wrong. Now, um, Peterson goes off by saying that, well, it's right there in the chapter, so we shouldn't denigrate social institutions. And yet, he will say that rules need to be challenged. And at times, that rules need to be broken. Um, and he, interestingly enough, he uses biblical illustrations to do so. So um, Jesus was one of the biggest rule breakers in human history. And it's almost like a paradox. But I guess if anybody can break the rules, or at least break his own rules, it could be Jesus. And, and we see him do this even before his ministry starts. He is a, uh, he's a boy that gets lost, and gets, doesn't get lost, but his parents lose him in Jerusalem when he's you know a young boy, 12 maybe. And you, we see him being a master of the law or a master of the rules. And he is instructing the rabbis and the religious elite He's instructing the social institution at the time about their own rules. He's, he is, and they are marveled by the very words that are coming out of his mouth. And then his parents find him, and he immediately breaks the rule because it almost seems like he is disrespecting his parents. And so again, he can do this. And we see Jesus over and over again breaking his own rules. He breaks the Sabbath. He, um, you know, he heals when he shouldn't be healing. Um, he eats with people he shouldn't be eating with. He socializes with people he shouldn't be socializing with. And, and so over and over again, we see Jesus uh, breaking the rules, but he does so in a way that we need to pay attention to. And this is why it's vital that we are authoring ourselves, that we're organizing our own personality and being uh, putting in check either you know the ego and the super ego or the id and or making sure that our our good side and our bad side, our dark side and our light side that that we're not giving way to the dark side. And I know it sounds like like I'm talking about Star Wars here, but um, but there's something to that. Meaning that the rules should be questioned and challenged. Now, you and I don't have um, the authority to question the scriptures. Jesus can he can do that all he wants, but but we can't. But we should and we do question institutions. Um, just this morning, I had a conversation with a group of pastors. Uh, who are questioning their very denominations. Uh, one guy just got kicked out of his denomination uh, for being, I don't even think what he did was that bad, but he uh, questioned and he bent the rule a tad, but there was nothing in the rule book about what he was doing. 
and he was given an ultimatum and he got kicked out of his own denomination that he'd been in for 63 years, just like that. And, you know, it's like, we're kind of kicking it around. It's like, okay, should he have been kicked out? Uh, like, this is a decision that you made. Was it worth it? Um, you know, do, do you want to be reconciled back into the social institution? Are you going to create your own social institution? And so we had some really good hard conversations about the situation that he found himself in. And um, I think for biblical pers- uh, perspectives, there are right answers, there are wrong answers, there is truth, there is non-truth, and then there's the stuff that's in the middle, that there's stuff that is in the gray. So, you know, all the Levitical laws, do we need to follow those rules, or do should we bend them and, and at times break them? Um, I got my hair cut short, trim my sideburns, I have broken a Levitical law. Um, so I had bacon for breakfast. So I I broke at least two Levitical laws today. And, you know, we, you know, we push it into a cultural context and we do proper exegesis, but then there's some of the other moral issues that are pretty right down the line, pretty straightforward. And they're consistent in Old Testament and New Testament. So we can't mess around with those, but other ones, I think that we can, and trying to figure out what are, what moral laws are, um, for today, well, that's that's a conversation with for scholars to figure out and other people. But okay, so here's the here's the main idea. So if I go into a social environment, a social institution, and I don't like the rules, and I think that the rules need to be changed, um, and I want to break the rules. I have to ask myself, what's the motivation for me wanting to break the rules? So here's the important part. This is probably the most important take-home of the whole chapter. So if I see rules that that either don't apply, are not relevant, um, or are outdated, or that need to be changed, and and I notice this, um, and I want to I want to break the rules. I'm a bit of a rule breaker. I'm a little bit of, I'm a little punk here and there. Um, if I challenge the status quo from or for the health of the community, then that is a noble cause. This is what Peterson's saying. I'm not saying it, but that's what Peterson's saying. If I am challenging the, the rules, if I want to break the law, if I want to break the rules, and I'm not considering the social community, but I'm just doing it for myself or I'm doing it just to break the rules, to break the rules sake. If I just want to stir the pot, just to stir the pot. then he would say that that is selfish ambition and it doesn't go as far as say it, but I'll say it. And then it's an expression of evil. Now, once the rules don't serve the rules anymore, it needs to be questioned. And that's what, that's what he's going to say. Okay. Now let me continue on to the, the next and final thought of this chapter is that, you know, rules ought to unite. They ought to unite, uh, uh, community breaking rules, uh, for the community. Are you breaking rules for yourself? Okay. So those are the idea now, um, back to the fool. And so we find ourselves, Peterson's big on hierarchy and I've always had a problem with this. Um, but like, 
He says that there's a hierarchy for a reason. There's levels of authority and levels of, of, of leadership for a reason. And, and we need it in society. And so now I guess I get it. If I was a young man, I probably wouldn't care. But um, he, he will say that in order for us to fully develop our personality, we need to be okay with where we are at in the strata of hierarchy that we find ourselves in. So whatever level of education or experience or expertise, motivation, or drive. Um, these are the things that, that the gifts that we have are the God-given or natural gifts. Uh, these are the, the, um, the tools that we have to play with. And when we find ourselves plugged into a hierarchy of either society or career or education or school, um, and you don't necessarily like where you're sitting on the social ladder, um, th- like this is a big challenge for us. So let's just put us back into school days where um, you're not the most popular kid, but you want to be the most popular kid. Like that is a condition of the heart that that's a very difficult place to be. And so you want maybe, you know, you maybe want to be more popular. You want to rise up on the ranks of that social ladder. Um, but uh, the bullies got you knocked down a couple of steps. So what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to just um, um, accept where you're at? Like, well, I guess I'm the nerd or I'm the geek and I'm just going to stay here. You're supposed to accept that place? Partly so. You're supposed to, it's like, okay, this is where I'm at. You don't have to be okay with where you're at, but you have to say, this is where I'm at. I'm a geek. And then I want to I want to rise up to be a nerd, and then from nerd I want to go to I don't know uh, a jock or whatever. And so you have to you have to be okay with where you're at. But Peterson will say that if you're going to be developing your personality, that you want to grow beyond your normal set. Now here's the trap of uh, of being stuck in this particular spot, not being able to get ahead, and. Uh, specifically the title of this chapter, uh, do not carelessly denigrate social institutions. So you can question the social institution. You can not be okay with where you find yourself in the hierarchy of a social institution, but you shouldn't carelessly denigrate the social institution that you don't agree with or you don't like where you found yourself in the caste system. The illustration that he used, which I think is powerful, is that he's talking with an individual who is in the restaurant industry. And the individual that was following Peterson came to the realization, I can either hate my job, I can hate that I am a server at a restaurant when I feel I could be so much more. I feel like I could you know, run the restaurant or I feel I could run the, this chain of restaurants. And so the individual was was placed um, in this area of conflict between his light and his dark. And so his temptation was, am I going to hold the 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 institution or um, the industry, the restaurant industry? Am I going to hold it into contempt? Am I going to be punk and anarchy towards this thing that is providing me income? Am I going to hate 
am I going to hate it or I'm going, or am I going to accept my place in this hierarchy and then try to develop myself and become the best server that I could possibly be? So the answer is that the, that the individual at one time was hating where he was at in his job. And then through some personal transformation, he began to accept where he was and then decided to be the best version of himself in that context. And as a result of a very simple mind shift from a negative mind shift into a positive, from one that was accepting a conservative approach saying, this is the way that it is, I might not like it, uh, but yet I'm going to find a creative way to get out of it, well, then that, that's where the balance is. So let me, let me just kind of end with that. Um, where do you find yourself in either a structure, either a work environment, a social environment, a family environment, where you fall along the, the hierarchical lines? Can you accept where you're at? Uh, I'm not saying they have to be okay with it, but you have to accept where you're at. And do you believe that God wants you to go further up and further in? Um, he's given you enough gifts for you to transform your personality. Do you want to go further up and further in? And the only way that we can do this is this, you know, Jordison's tarot card thing. So we kind of have to be... Um, not a fool in the idiotic sense, but you need to be a fool that's that says, okay, I can either go a very conservative way and find a creative solution to transformation and a, and a higher expression of living. A balance between the way things are and the way that things could be. And so you need to have almost a liberal mindset, but you also need to accept that this is the way that things are done. And maybe somewhere along the lines, we can change things, that we can break the rules, that, that we can push the boundaries of what is and what could be. So it better serves the individual and better serves the community. All right, so there we go. So that's uh, that's chapter one. So I want to encourage you all to uh, respect the system that you find yourself in. Um, say how you can be a better individual within that system. And then, and Peterson doesn't do this, but I would also encourage you to ask God to, to, to give you a creative, um, a creative, uh, venue for you to become a better person so that you can achieve creative achievement. So what can you achieve by a creative spark? And, um, I think it's a powerful chapter. This is a powerful book and I'm not going to lie. This book is probably even more challenging than his first, but I think it's really important. So join me in the journey, uh, 12 rules for life beyond order. And let's go deep. Thank you guys for watching or listening uh, the Art of Faith podcast. I'll see you next time with rule number two. Peace.